Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, February 27th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. <clears throat> As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the link that says Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve both the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store, type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they use these tools actively in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, We'd appreciate it if you'd give us a call at 563-999-3581. 
You call that number and press 1. It'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we greatly appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. Our intention with this work is to be of service. And if you would, let us know how we can be of service to you. What would make it more useful for you today as we spend time together on the show? I was moved over the weekend to um, to think a lot about what we did last year with the Way of Mastery and how often it talks about asking to be shown. How much it talks about divine ignorance, how much it talks about understanding that we make up a lot of meaning for ourselves and yet we truly don't know much about anything. We don't know when we were created or who or what created us. We don't know what our brother or sister needs at any given moment. We don't know what would serve us best, even though we have all kinds of thoughts and ideas about it. And when we learn to live into the truth of that, we learn to ask far more than than demand. Rather than asking for this or that, we ask to be shown what's mine to do here. How can I be a, a, of service to myself or others? How can I be a blessing to myself or others in any given moment? What would it mean for me to to learn to live in the flow of life, accepting that however life is unfolding, the primary thing it does for me moment to moment is give me yet another opportunity to choose to teach only love. However it unfolds, for instance, last week there was a, a major ice storm through the, uh, the area and both my office and my home were without power for a couple of days, home was for several days, and um, it, it's an opportunity to choose to be loving to choose to see what I might do to help others because I'm certainly not the only one who's been uh, inconvenienced. It's an opportunity for me moment to moment to accept what's happening and ask how I might use whatever it is I have control over to make life better for myself and others moment to moment. And it's one of the things that um, Christian 
Sundberg, I think his name was. He was talking about as a primary reason for being here, for for choosing to come and take physical form. They, um, in the interview, they were talking about the analogy of going to a gymnasium and lifting heavier and heavier weights progressively over time. Why do we do that? Why do people go and stress themselves out by trying to lift weights that are heavier than what they they can lift or heavier than what they could lift when they first went to the gymnasium and started working out because it's an attempt to get stronger so they they use that as an analogy and say okay so um in our world we might choose to view being here in the physical realm as an opportunity to practice choosing love, being loving in more and more difficult circumstances, more and more challenging physical, financial, emotionally charged circumstances, and to refuse to be swept into, nudged into, motivated into anger or bitterness or fear or hurt or resentment. And to choose to be loving in more and more challenging circumstances, one could say, if you chose to, that's our reason for being here. And to to weave that into um, the the primary use for the reality management worksheet which is a way for me to turn any negative emotional experience i have into the guidance system that each and every one of us has been given rather than look at the way the culture teaches me to say well if I'm angry, if I'm sad, if I'm scared, if I'm hurt, if I'm frustrated, what that means is there's something wrong in the world outside me. There's something wrong with the people around me or there's something wrong with the flow of life. And that's what our culture teaches us. But rather than do that, this work, the way of mastery, the Course in Miracles, the Reality Management Worksheet is offered by Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. This offers the opportunity for me to say, okay, when I become aware, and hopefully I'll work at becoming more and more aware at the earliest warning sign of any upset, any negative emotional experience, let me choose to use that as an indication that my internal alarm system is going off. And the very best use of that alarm system going off is for me to turn the focus inside myself and say, what can I do 
to recognize how I'm creating this internal upset. How can I use it to help build an awareness of where my thinking is off the mark and or where an old trauma energy that I've downloaded into my system has been resonated. So that instead of looking at the outside world and trying to decide who I need to attack or run away from or bribe or seduce to get them to change so I don't have to feel what's going on inside of me, what can I do to examine my internal process, what David Bohm would call sustained incoherence? How am I using my thought process yet again to create a pain, a sadness, a fear, an anger, a hurt, some kind of a negative emotional experience, and then just continue to churn that same thought process repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly to try and change the outcome. You know, that's one of the wonderful definitions for insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's what David Bohm is referring to in his term sustained incoherence. Well, if I choose to recognize the value of my own internal alarm system as as any negative emotion, any tension, any resistance, any anger, any hurt, any frustration, any fear, If I choose to recognize that the very best use of that is to turn inside myself and then explore how am I creating this? What is this trying to teach me? What's mine to learn in this moment? So that I can change the process inside myself and restore myself to my awareness of my true nature as love and peace and compassion, then you might say I've stepped into uh, I've stepped into what you might call a really good use of my life. There's the old adage that, that that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Well, the truth of that is that's only accurate if I use my life experience to get better at being a better person, at being more loving, at being more patient, at being more understanding. Otherwise, all of these upsetting things that happen they just serve to make me more convinced that I'm right and the world is wrong and that other people should be changing or that the world is a dangerous place. And of course, every time I do that, one of my favorite ways to talk about this is every time I do that, I'm focusing my energy and my attention on things I don't have any control over. And as I talk about in the power struggle model, 
whenever I choose to focus on things that I, or I, I focus more of my energy on things I don't have any control over, and less of my energy on things I do have control over, I'm either in a power struggle or I'm vulnerable to one. And as soon as other people stop pretending with me that I have control over these things, as soon as they start doing what they want instead of what I want, the power struggle is going to rear its ugly head. Any time I'm in anger or fear or sadness or hurt or frustration, rest assured I am focusing more of my energy on things I have no control over and less of it on things I do have control over. What do I have control over? Well, the way of mastery tells us over and over again, I have control over choosing to teach only love. Another way to say that is I have control over choosing to share only loving thoughts. And the book is very clear. The teaching is very clear. It doesn't mean I won't have anything but loving thoughts. I'll have angry, sad, fearful, scary, depressed, hurt, confused thoughts, a whole bunch of other negative thoughts, but I don't have to choose to share them. I don't have to choose to pretend that 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 pattern of thought means I'm right and the world is wrong. I love Guy Finley's way of talking about it when it comes to anger. He says, in our world, we're taught that the more angry we get, that means more strongly we can know that we're right and the world is wrong. And he goes on to say, my anger doesn't mean I'm right. My anger only means I don't know what rightness is in the moment. And if I choose that observation and interpretation, it opens the, the, a world of possibilities for me to change the process inside me that's creating my anger. And as we understand in this work, anytime I have anger or fear or any other negative emotional state active in my mind, it is creating a distortion in my perception. It's making me think I know what's right when I can't see clearly. Frequently when I'm trying to introduce these concepts to people in a session, I say, if you've ever interviewed a trial attorney, if you ever get the chance, ask her that when she's cross-examining the witness for the opposing side and that person is on the stand does your trial attorney want that person to feel calm and safe and secure and comfortable and she will say no and you'll say well why and she'll say well because I want them to be in anger or fear or hurt or confusion because that's when they make mistakes and this is a trial attorney. This is somebody whose livelihood depends on knowing how people work. So you could pretend, I go on to say, you could pretend that that's a special case that only applies to human beings when they're in a courtroom on the stand 
and being cross-examined by the opposing counsel. But I think that's pretty silly. I think it's pretty clear that that's the way it works for all of us, that when I have anger or fear or hurt or sadness or pain or confusion active in my mind, it is distorting my perception. It is far more likely from those moments, if I speak or act from that energy of the negative emotion, it's far more likely that I'm going to make a mistake or I'm going to do something that I later regret doing. And this is wisdom that Michael Rice has been weaving into his lectures for years. He'll ask people to, you know, think about something they did that they now regret. They did it sometime in the past and now they regret it. And then he asks them to think about what emotional state they were in when they did the thing that they now regret. And then shout out their answers. And every time he does this, they shout out answers like hurt, fear, sadness, anger, confusion, lonely, shame, bitterness, resentment. And never do they shout out, I was feeling loving, I was feeling so calm, I was feeling so compassionate. So we have it in our own life experience. We just don't slow down and tune into it as often as it would be good for us to do. So that's why we offer the Reality Management Worksheet as the primary tool in this work. We also offer a host of other tools. We don't, you know, we don't get to talk about them at length as often, but there are tools like Three Early Memories of Conflict, tools like the Responsibility Communication, tools like the Mind Shifter Targeted Journaling, tools like the Mind Goal Management Sheet. All of these are extraordinarily useful to help me either create a state of mind that remains more loving and balanced and focused and or make a course correction once I recognize that I'm feeling less than loving or balanced or focused. And as odd as it seems to the Western mind, one of the most useful things for me to do is to recognize that I really don't know what anything is or is for. And to spend far more time in my life as life is unfolding asking to be shown, what's mine to do here? How can I be a blessing to myself and others? So, 563-999-3581. How can we assist you in being more open in the moment to questioning, asking to be shown, living from the space of choosing to share only your loving thoughts, etc.? 610, Susan, welcome. Hi, Dr. Tim. Hi, uh I have a question about Christian Sundberg's book. 
I did get the book, and it's much better than hearing the audible uh, audio part because there's so much that he says. I can take it more slowly. One thing he told about was that he was choosing in his state of bliss, non-physical state, he was choosing to take the veil again, meaning have his memory of the the beauty of his pure existence and and the pure purity of the beings around him and ultimate reality being so wonderful. He's choosing to come back to earth to experience life again in order to grow, although that's one question. He's already completed where he is, so I don't understand why he would come back uh, to this plane. And then he described in great detail about how he did agree to take the veil, have all of his memories and understanding removed, go into darkness, and he became a fetus in the body of a woman, and he was so panicked and so terrified by the deeper and deepening and deeper darkness he was being sent into that he said, I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. I don't want to do this. And the fetus died and the woman was devastated and he regretted that very much. Then he took what sort of like, like a, you know, the pre-SAT courses. He took a pre-veil taking course and prepared himself to enter into earthly life again you probably remember this and he he chose to do it he got some instruction he begged not to completely lose his sense of where he had come from and this is the incarnation and and to have intelligence yes he asked for that i thought that was very interesting too um so First of all, I was quite, well, I've got so many thoughts. One of them is that the Gnostics in early Christian Gnostic teachings, they say that the world is a melting pot, that very high souls come to earth to help souls who are coming up from literally hell, who need lots of guidance and assistance in order to grow. And getting an earthly life is a huge plus a great gift because you can climb out of your deep darkness, avoid many, many lifetimes. If you have a lifetime on earth that you make use of and the angels, the angelic beings, humans around you are helping, you can grow tremendously. And I understand that better than I understand. And I know this is all sort of abstract and indescribable anyway. But he he came to earth perhaps to instruct other people, but also just to grow. Yet why would he want to grow when he was already, already there? Okay, so to begin with, the, the first thing, every time you start talking about this kind of thing with his book, yeah. the first thing that comes to me to say is let's come back to what he talks about in the beginning of every interview and he talks about in the book. We're going to be trying to use words here. Right. To point at things that go way beyond anything words can describe. 
So how do you talk about time using words? Of course, every word I speak, it takes time for me to speak it. How do you talk about an existence where time doesn't exist? Right. Or time is nonlinear, or time is both linear and nonlinear. How do you talk about that? Well, you can't. So, you know, one of the things I remember from the book in the interview is he talks about being in the non-physical and, and encountering another presence, another entity, another being, whatever you want to call it. We don't have words for it, right? And as he's interacting, he says, you know, it's all perfect communication. There aren't any words. It's done with what, what in, in this world we would call mental telepathy. Mm-hmm. There's just the knowing and the exchange. And he talked about having an experience with another being, another soul, another spirit, another energy, whatever you want to call it. And everyone in that realm is in a happy state, a bliss state. Mm. But there was something different about this other person that, that went beyond that. This other person, this other entity. I, you know, I, I use the word person because that's how we think of people. But mm-hmm. in his communication with this other energy, he sensed that this other energy had a level of uh complexity and deep, rich joy and bliss that went beyond anything he'd experienced before in himself or in anybody else he'd interacted with. Now, how can that be? I mean, if you're already in bliss, how can somebody be more blissful than you? Well, we don't have words for that. All right. So, so you know, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like, you know, um, to help myself or just let it go. I often think about if I'm talking to a very intelligent five or ten year old person and they start to explain something to me about life or about you know why they go to church or about how the the car works or whatever or how 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 much they love their parents or whatever. I I know at my advanced age relative to them that whatever they comprehend is just the a sliver of a molecule on you know on the surface of a piece of foam at the top of a wave in the depths of the ocean. I mean, I know something more than they can possibly know if they've been alive for 5 or 10 years. I keep thinking about that when I think about stories like this and and my mind tries to make sense of it. It doesn't matter how much I explain it to the Mm 10-year-old. He or she is not going to be able to grasp it until they've gone through some of it themselves. Mm. So, So that's the kind of thing I do for myself and that's the kind of thing I would offer you when you start to raise questions like this. When your mind wants to wrestle with it at the conscious logical level and grab a hold of it, you might want to say to your mind, 
okay, why don't you go over here at the kiddie table with some Oreo cookies and milk, and I'm just going to practice being loving. I'm going to do another worksheet if I feel tense or scared. If I get stuck in the loop of trying to figure it out, I'm going to let go of that and move into the realm of direct experience and see what I might do with whatever tools I have to usher myself into a more loving experience in this moment rather than trying to figure it out. Does that make any sense? Of course. You you very often tell me this very same thing because I need to hear it. And And my first thought is to apologize for going there again. And having to have you explain it again. So, well, of course, I, there are no apologies needed, and every one of us is in need of these reminders and these shifts in perspective, because this is how we end up. You might call it growing. This is how we break the old patterns, establish something newer, mm. hopefully more beneficial. Hope so. So no apology needed. I keep coming around, and it's probably the challenge that every human has on the planet. How do we, how do we do and be loving when triggered by something? I mean, the process is ongoing. I mean, I know it's true for you, too, because you do worksheets a lot. Um, when I was reading this book about the layers and layers and layers of darkness that this that Christian before he was Christian was going to agree to plunge into now now you're using the word darkness, right, and he talks about yeah. it, but then he says, really, it's more like dense density. Right, oh, It's a lower vibration thanks. of the energy. It's not dark, bad, evil, okay. demons, ghoulish, well, even... burning in hell. <laughs> okay, that's good. Even to say vibration, lower and lower and lower vibration is similar to me. It's insulting to think that I'm a being of extremely low vibration. Of course, then my hackles go up. And my ego is, goes into full dudgeon, and there's the problem. Well, but think about it, right? Think about the the 10-year-old the that thinks he's being very loving because he's willing to share half of his cupcake with another student who doesn't have any. And he mm-hmm. thinks that is just the height of self-sacrifice and being loving. And that 10-year-old can't possibly know what it would be like to work for 20 or 30 years basically just putting your life on hold so that your son or daughter could have a decent life they they can't know. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, when, when you say that's such an insult, that's just because that's, that's where my ego is stuck right now, thinking that that's really important, that I have a higher vibration. You know, Matt Kahn is one of those people who has done a lot of um, spiritual teaching, and he says, you know, these people talk about reaching a higher vibration. He says, it, it, your vibration, the vibration of your higher S self, your your true self, your soul, or whatever you want to call it, never changes. It's always pure and of the highest essence of love itself, etc. What we're talking about is changing our awareness of our vibration because we think when we're stuck at the ego level <laughs> that we're not a high enough level vibration. But if your consciousness, if you are part of the one mind, you're already beyond words in your purity, in your vibration, in your knowing, in your ability to experience and extend your true nature as love. So all we're talking about is raising my personal awareness. We're not raising our actual vibration. Okay, does that's that, good. that makes sense? Yeah, it does. I mean like as as an entity, as a consciousness, as a spirit, as a soul, as a as a part of the, the, the flow of life, there isn't any greater or lesser. That's why the way of mastery in the Course in Miracles talks about how there's no level of difficulty in, in the order of miracles. And it talks about things like mm-hmm. the slightest irritation is connected to the deepest rage. Right. And and our true essence for each and every one of us is this essence of the vibration of creativity, of, of creation itself, of love, of life, etc. And we might be acting as though we've temporarily forgotten or yet to discover our true nature, but our true nature doesn't change. Mm. So on a very practical level, and I've got a couple of things going on in my life right now where I so want to step aside and let, you know, put a box beside and put my all my ego stuff and all the tension I feel about a certain situation uh, that's come up in my Zoom group. Um, I want to be just allowing, and there's such inner pressure to be right and not to be allowing. I'm just watching it. And I love that the way of mastery says, you know, you, you'll you have these things happen, but you can, you don't have to operate out of that. I've literally and you don't have to share saying, Yeah. Yeah. I've been saying prayers to, to feel open and allowing and loving toward one of the women who comes on to the Zoom group who it's an interesting situation because I asked her a question. She was talking about some kind of intense abuse in childhood. And I said, what kind of abuse? And she said, well, this isn't therapy. I'm not going to answer that. And she was clearly triggered by my question. And I had many thoughts. One of them was, this isn't therapy. (laughs) I always thought this was the best therapy I ever could be involved in 
these are the worksheets and these are the tools. Um, but I didn't argue with her. I just, at the time, because I don't usually react right away, I feel stung right away. But I just said, oh, okay. And then now she hasn't come for three sessions, and I think she may have even quit. But she texted me yesterday and said, we need to talk. And I want to be ready for that talk. And, you know, in many ways, she said, this group doesn't fit my politics. And I'm thinking, well, I know she's very much of a, you know, she's very much against science and didn't get vaccinated. And we've decided that we're going to just not go there because there's so much else we have to offer each other. And she has sort of attacked Tim and Tim Bingham and me by saying, well, do your research. You know, if you, you dumb head, if you do your research, you'll know that it's not good to get a vaccination. That's what she's implying. She said, I have protocols. And, and so my hackles immediately go up and I'm thinking, what is this? Why do I care? It's the same thing. It's always the same battle. Just wearing different clothes. Yeah, um, I like the idea that Michael Rice brings and, and, and to really work and massage this, the idea of um, the difference between this is right and this is wrong thinking mm-hmm. and and the thought pattern that says, well, this is right for me and this is not right for me in this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can allow other people to have their thoughts and beliefs about basically anything and and know that I don't need to be right about it and I don't need to make them wrong about it. I can, you know, share from the perspective of we all get to choose. Isn't it nice that we live in a country where we're not going to get punished by an outside authority for choosing our individual beliefs? Mm-hmm. And when yeah. they clash and, and somebody wants to convince me that they're right and I'm wrong, I just say, have a nice day. That's where the I'm rub not gonna is. Try and, yeah, I'm not going to try and convince you that I'm right. And I don't want to stand here and let you badger me trying to convince me that you're right. Mm-hmm. Because what I find more useful is the way the way of mastery talks about it. I don't really know what anything is or is for. You might absolutely be right. It just doesn't feel like something I want to go into right now. And I'm going to spend my mind energy and my body's energy and my interaction with others in this other direction. And anybody that wants to generate anger about that, and boy, there are plenty of us on the planet right now who want to generate anger when people don't agree with us, I just bless them on their way. Well, and if they want for you, to, that's what's great. <laughs> that's good. Well, but if, that's if, what and, I want to be and, able and, to do. Okay, well, you can. You can choose it. But if they want to argue about it, then uh, I just invite them to argue with somebody else. There used to be somebody that would come to the Tuesday support group years and years ago, and Michael Rice had this. He still has it. He has a lecture that he talks about uh, the Course in Miracles. And the particular lesson from the Course in Miracles that's titled, What is the World? Yeah. 
So this woman, who is quite knowledgeable in Course in Miracles, she came to that group, and um, she wanted to know about Course in Miracles, this and that. And so I loaned her a copy of Michael's two-hour, or maybe it's only an hour and 20 minutes, DVD on, on what is the world. Mm-hmm. And she came back the next week loaded for bear. She wanted to fight about this. He's wrong, and this is, and the course says this, and the course says that. And I said, okay. She said, what do you mean, <laughs> okay? It. This is not right, and this is not. And I said, okay. Quit saying okay. What do you mean? I, I said, it's okay. You can believe what you want to believe. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong in the Course in Miracles. I'm not an expert in the Course in Miracles. We're here to talk about practical tools that when I apply them in my life, make my life better. If you want to talk about that, that's what this group is about. This group isn't about theoretical arguments about who's right or who's wrong, whether it's Course in Miracles or your current favorite presidential candidate or anything else. This is about using tools to make my life better. And right now, my life's going to get better when I say, I don't want to argue about this. I'm going to go on with the group and either play another video or do a worksheet or something else that's productive. How were you feeling during all that? I can imagine doing everything you said, but I might be just in knots inside. Now, if you were able to really stay loose, Oh, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was able to just be relaxed, and if I wasn't, I would do a worksheet on it. And I <laughs> might even offer myself as an example in that group and say, you know, earlier in the group when um, Larry was saying this and that, I was feeling some tension, so I'll put that on the worksheet. And mm. Or I was feeling, you know, frustrated because... I was, uh, my thought was, Larry's attacking me or whatever. And I'd put it on a worksheet yeah. and demonstrate it in front of the group. Yeah, good. Probably to great advantage for yeah. myself. I don't know if anybody else would get advantage from it because that's, you know, up to every person. Mm-hmm. And that's the best I have to offer you. If you, if you say... I think about doing that, but I know I would be fuming inside. How dare this person question me, or I can't believe she doesn't see the truth of it, or my gosh, why is she so rude in her tone, or whatever. I would put that on a worksheet and or do EFT tapping about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep, it's always pretty much the same it's getting pretty simple after all this time. It's the why is this happening again? It is a boiling down to feeling attacked and have it feeling I must defend myself or I'm going to die pretty much. So there it is, you know. Yeah, and then, you, know, you, might, to... you, you, you might take a look before you do the worksheet. You might think a little bit about, okay, so... Michael likes to ask the question, so how does this look like your life? And or what would happen if my power person thought I was wrong and I was trying to, you know, hold a position that was different than my power person? Would I get beaten? Would I get ridiculed? Would I get the silent treatment? Would I get screamed at? 
and that that might be you know a memory might flood and then i might do the worksheet on that old incident or i could just do mm-hmm. it on the thoughts and, and emotions that are up today yeah both are fruitful mhm yeah Anybody else on the phone queue? Well, there's a lot of people listening. Nobody else with a hand up. And if you, you okay. know, if if this were earlier in the call, I'd say, you know, let's let's frame out a worksheet for you or do a worksheet right now on that, you know, on whether or not it's this person in the group or anybody else that wants to tell you they're right and you're wrong. But that, you know, that's a real useful application of the reality management worksheet. Right. And, you know, the, the the thing about when you were asking me, how did you actually feel when I was in the group and this person wanted to argue about, you know, the Course in Miracles, et cetera? My honest answer is I felt just completely relaxed and at ease because at that stage of the game, I knew this isn't about me being right and somebody else being wrong. This is just... You know, I, I had I had known for quite a while prior to that interaction with that person that people love to argue about Course in Miracles, just like they love <laughs> to argue about what's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they love to argue about their science versus somebody else's science. Mm. And so I understood that I had a purpose for being in that group meeting, which was simply to offer as productive and practical uh, a set of tools as I could each meeting to help people use the tools in the most practical, effective, efficient, and accessible way we could. And so that, that that's what kept me focused, because I wasn't there trying to tell anybody that I know what's right and what's wrong. Mm. Because by that stage of the game, I was already using the way of mastery, you know, as many, many readings over and over and over again. And it just talks about how we don't know what anything is or is for. Mm. So I had been practicing that acceptance and allowance of the truth of that teaching. What are you thinking about, you were saying? Well, there's something else going on because I've had plenty of people disagree with me and uh, I haven't felt there's something about the kind of disagreement or something about your relationship with her. Well, I felt scorned and insulted and I don't always feel that way with somebody that takes a different view on things, quite the opposite. I've had wonderful conversations with people on different sides of issues. So this one was different, and I, I'm, I don't have to do it on the radio show, but I think there's something else going on here. Anyway. Probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was going to talk about is in, in order to understand our Michael, our housemate, better. I've been looking, reading about and looking at documentaries about homelessness 
And it is really, really amazing what's happening in this country, maybe over the whole world. Because we have, Michael Rice was saying that in his experience, homeless people are really treated very badly, um, accused of being takers and lazy and not working. And the documentary that I'm about halfway through, and literally I had to turn it off because I had to do a worksheet. (laughs) It's, It's about a woman who's living in her van working nine hours a day as a cleaning lady and sort of home care aide to an old, very old, heavy old person who's sick. And she's challenged because she's having to lift this person. And she says, my back, you know, I have to be very careful how I lift the person. And it's a very hard job. And I come back to my van and this is my home. She seemed cheerful enough. And I'm thinking, how can you be cheerful? I would be in a wall-to-wall panic attack. But, of course, she sort of eased into this situation. She was married and lived in a a literal mansion, and then her husband left and took everything. She said, I was happy to have him take everything. I really wanted to be clean and clear and have a fresh start. I didn't really think about how hard this fresh start would be with me, with my limited skills. I had raised our kids. I hadn't had a job. Here I am. You know, my kids are grown, and I'm out on the street. Um, But it's helping me loosen up my lists and lists and lists of shoulds that I levy on this poor guy in our basement. You know, if you're going to be here, you should be doing this and you should be thanking us this way and you should be offering this and that and the other. And power person dynamics up, down, and sideways. And so doing that work and also watching these documentaries I'm completely at a loss about anything that should happen now. I have really no idea what should happen, which is probably a good thing. But anyway, I recommend if anybody's in my position to look at some documentaries. And it's gotten some good discussion with him going about how it's been for him on the street. So, Yeah, it's it's amazing what what shifts in perspective we can have when we quit trying to tell people what they should think and do and ask them about their life experience. It's just, that's one of the most life-altering things we can do. It's like when people say, you know, you want to change your your perspective on life, start traveling, right? Go experience realms and worlds and cultures other than your own but we get so bogged down in the egocentricity of our daily lives that and of course that's what our culture teaches us let's 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 pretend we know we're right and the other person's wrong So we have a few minutes left, area code 828. Welcome. Well, hi there. It is, yes. Um, Susan, once again, I am so grateful for your questions because they brought out wonderful answers from Dr. Kim. 
Um, and I just wanted to uh, pop in here and, and um, because your situation reminded me of that time that I was in the waiting room waiting for my car to be serviced, and I was surrounded by people who were talking politics that I do not agree with, and I wanted so very much to feel loving toward them. They weren't involving me or talking to me. I was just listening and getting very um, triggered, and I wanted to feel love, and I wasn't able to, and I was so frustrated. And Dr. Tim, what you told me, which was so important when I talked with you the next day, was um, you need to release your attachment to your beliefs and then also to, to look at what, do I, what, are my, what are my fears about if their politician wins as opposed to the one that I'm championing and so forth. But that meant a lot, releasing my attachment to my beliefs, which, of course, has to do with being right. So I just wanted to pop that in in case it means anything for you, Susan. Mm. Yep, it does. Good homework, too. Well, and if I remember correctly, Magda, that was just, you know, that or one of the other mind shifters I gave you um, elicited a gasp from you when I first gave it to you. So that (laughs) we, we, we know that, boy, there's a huge emotional attachment there if just the thought of doing a mind shifter has me gasping. Right, right. And the way I tested, I haven't, I haven't been in a situation like that since that happened. However, the way I tested it was before I did the work, I thought of that situation. I thought of those people, and I tried to, I, I wanted to see if I could bring up a loving uh, feeling toward any of them, and I couldn't. I was still in that same place. So after I did the work, then I, I used that as my test. And it was totally different. I was completely accepting of them having their own opinions, and um, it, it was just wonderful. So, um, who knows what will happen the next the next time I'm, you know, in that situation with real people? We'll see. But I think it'll be quite different. Well, Good work, if it happens and you and you want to report, we'd be happy to hear it. Okay. I will, I will do that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again. All right. Well, we're down to the last minute. Thank you both. Thank you. And I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour, and I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tian. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Monday, February the 27th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting for Michael to dial in, but earlier he is actually in Kansas City, Missouri. His uh, former wife, the mother of his children, uh, CJ, 
some of you may know her, um, or Carol. She is in the process of passing. And so Michael flew up there yesterday to be of support with Michael J and Jamie. And hopefully Chris is going to drive over from St. Louis. And so he is up there with them and uh, going through the process with them. And so he's hoping to be able to breathe them a little bit later. And uh, I reminded him he's on a different time zone, so I said, be sure to change your time on your phone that alerts you to uh, dial in. So hopefully he will have done that. He's not dialing yet. He's not on the system yet. So, um, but anyway, hold the space for all of them as they go through that process. And it looks like somebody tried to call me. Hold on just a second. He says he'll be here in three minutes. So, <laughs> all right. Um, we are still looking at Heartland for the summer, so you can go to the website, YGM.org, and click on Schedule and Flyers or Heartland 2023. And as we update information, um, it will be out there. Right now, uh, Michael's working with Terry trying to uh, sum up some dates that uh, Terry's coming early with his crew. They're going to put a roof on the building, uh, eternal support and get some things done prior to doing a 16-day food fund forgiveness and work program. And then following that work program, uh, if there's enough interest, then Michael will be doing a 9-day fly or 17-day teacher's training. I'm going to be staying here in Bristol, so I'm not going to be going to Heartland with him. So if you're interested, though, drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at yagain.org. Or if you've got our phone numbers, you can call us. You can also go to the website and click on contact, and that gives you, you know, a way to email us. It gives you our phone numbers. It gives you all kinds of information. You can look on the website besides looking at the schedules. We've put several things out there, new testimonials and uh, several things. So go out and look around. If you find something that doesn't work, please let me know. The apps have been all updated, and they are all running online. Um, they, they had kind of messed up so that if you were trying to do the worksheet online, it wasn't filling in for you, but it is now doing that. So uh, hopefully there's no other glitches. And let us know. Let us know what you think. If you have a question or a comment, press 1. And hopefully Michael will get in here in just a moment. And I was just looking to see we had had a couple of conversations going by email, but I'm not sure if Michael is going to address those online or not. So we'll just wait till he gets in. So if you're interested in doing the in-person intensive, you know, the last two years we've done online, time that we will do in-person. And if you're interested in that, please let us know. Volunteer. So Food Fund Forgiveness and Work, what it does is during the day there are work projects. There's time to go down to the lake and, and hiking and whatever else you might like to do besides the work project. In the evenings there are classes, just like during the regular intensive. Saturdays, breath work. And we are looking, the way that we're looking at those dates is so that it's even weeks. 
like sometimes when we're running intensives back to back, you know, one might start on a Monday or a Tuesday or something like that. Anyway, so we were trying to set them up so that if you came in on Saturday, you'd leave on Sunday and only have to take even number of days or weeks off of work if you work. If you're retired, then just, you know, join us for however long. We were, when I took Michael to Kansas City, was out of Asheville, North Carolina, and we hadn't been in Asheville in a while. And while we were there, we were thinking of a, a gentleman who has helped us a lot in the past years. His name's Richard. And um, so we tried to contact him because, you know, I said, oh, he'd be fabulous to have there during Food Fund Forgiveness because he could fix anything just about. And we found out that he passed last year from a cancer. So that was kind of a, a surprise. But um, anyway, and Michael has just joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Yeah, I had talked to Richard about a year ago, you know, and he didn't say anything about being sick or anything going on. His wife had passed away about two years previously, and uh, so it was a bit of a shock. One of the things I used to be able to do with our pretty much everybody, you know, all the time, but the audience has grown so global and and so dispersed that uh, sometimes it's hard to keep up with people. You know, we send Richard a, a blessing, and Miriam, his wife, as you move on to the next journey of your eternal life. And, yes, I'm here in Kansas City getting lots of baby snuggle time, which is really nice. Kaylee Joe is about six months now, so she's in this big returning smiles phase and grinning and laughing and grabbing things. She has extra long toes. She can actually grab your finger with her toes like you, your baby grabs your finger with her hand. So she's really pretty sweet, pretty awesome. And it's really good to be here for Michael J. And for Jamie and for CJ, for those who know CJ, my former wife, she's uh, about 10 years ago had a kidney transplant, and that kidney failed. I guess it's going on probably about two years ago now. She's been on dialysis, and uh, she's been getting progressively weaker. And the, I guess it's been, I think, four days now since her last dialysis treatment, so she's missed two dialysis treatments because she's just not strong enough to handle it. I guess it's a, a first strain on the body. So it looks like probably... You know, they say that the the limit for someone with kidney failure for being able to stay in the bodies is about two weeks. And so she's heading up to day five or day six now. So we just went and spent a couple hours with her yesterday. She's a kind of fuzzy of mind and uh, chaffy in the care facility that she's in. So they had her in a a um, wheelchair and she wasn't capable of getting up but she tried and ended up face planting on a table and banging her head getting a concussion so she's she's been having quite a time of it so if everybody would just send cj a little nudge of extra love and support as she gets ready to drop her body and move on to the next phase of her eternal life And, of course, the invitation in this work is 
to consider conceived. Death was born and bred in you because that's what our family system has been doing for a long, long time. But we're challenging the belief that death is required. You go back to the ancient teachings, you'll notice there's a point in there where they say, with man, death began. We made the process up. We engaged in energetic patterns that didn't support life. Life, what is life? Life is love flowing through a cell. And we've done things to interfere with that flow. And by interfering with life, we created a circumstance where the cell ends up becoming biologically deformed because of the energetic patterns that assault it and are integrated into our genes as energy patterns that degrade the body's ability to, to regenerate ourselves. So recognizing that and then recognizing that we have this awesome teacher from some 2,000 years ago, and I just had a little baby come in here. Michael J. just brought Kaylee Cho in. She's resting. She just had some milk. She's got her eyes closed. Shades of uh, Arya's early days. You know, for the first year of her life, Irene was at our household two to three days a week. And nap time was right at radio show time. So Arya would come in and lay on right in the crook of my arm every day for, geez, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. It was pretty sweet. So I'm getting to have some of that sweetness right now as Kelly Jo is laying here. And she gets to listen to these ideas. You know, you'll recall that a few months ago, just spontaneously out of the blue, Arya came up with in response to a video that was talking about how we see through our eyes. She turned to me and said, Papa, they don't understand, do they? We see with our brain, not with our eyes. So it would have been sweet to have been exposed to these truths at uh, the tender age of just a few months. In any event, hi, sweetheart. How are you, awesome girl? And she's lifting her little head and just looking at me. Hey, sweetie. You can go ahead and close your eyes. Yeah, there you go. You can just close your eyes and go to sleep. You're cherished. In any event, when we engage in energetic patterns that don't support love flowing through our cellular structure, those patterns become integrated into our genes. They assault the cell, they assault the organ, they assault the body, or the so-called body. When you realize that the body isn't physical, it's an energy system, those energetic patterns interfere with the regenerative systems of the structure. And if those structures, regenerative systems are degraded, we call it aging, but it's got nothing to do with time. It's got to do with the energies that we engage in. So if everybody in your bloodline and mine over 120 years of age is dead, then obviously we came in with the, because the cellular structure takes on every energy that it is exposed to, we were born with, with death structured into our genes from two sides of the family. 
unless we've got you know one side or the other that has people that are you know two four six eight thousand years old two thousand ten thousand we don't have any of those then there's a reason and the ultimate objective of this work is to overcome those ancient propensities toward death those energetic patterns to learn to forgive to learn to remove those patterns I got this little sweet face just looking straight up at me with a big grin on her face so if we have these energetic patterns within our structure the objective of the work of Yeshua from 2,000 years ago to which on one occasion when half of the disciples ran away screaming they said too hard a saying no that's too hard to do too hard to deal with you recall at another point in Revelations Yeshua says to he that overcomes he or she that overcomes they will not taste of the second death what's the first death that's when we become locked into a false image in our minds of ourselves as a body forget who we are and lose contact with the fact that we are the created essence of love when we do that we engage in thought disorders energetic patterns that don't belong in the system and those things are sourced from within the mind you know, if you listen to the opening words in the book of John where we're told it says in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh in Aramaic it doesn't say that it says in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh if we engage in mind energy that does not support life love flowing through a cell then ultimately death occurs but then we hear Yesha in Revelation say to he or she that overcomes they will not taste of the second death what do you have to overcome the propensity to engage in energies that kill us that's what we need to do they will not taste of the second death they will become a pillar and what is a pillar you know whenever I I repeat that uh, that piece from Revelations I think of these old southern mansions with these huge pillars in front of them those pillars aren't going anywhere so he uses that as the example will become a pillar in the temple what is the temple but your body mind unit it's the temple of my God you know if you listen to the scripture don't you know that your body is a temple for the Creator it's a place where love is designed to reside and express and be poured out into the world and the world's got some other ideas so we'll become a fixture in the temple and shall go out no more that sounds like a pretty clear promise if we can drop if we could take responsibility for and forgive remember that the word forgive means remove the word forgive means to confront to embrace to access to come into relationship with and to throw out what never belonged within your structure that's the overcoming process and that I would offer is the end of death that's the promise of this work so that's what we're working toward and literally disease by disease by disease and there is only one disease you know the, the, the world is named you know the ABC the XYZ the you know whatever disease as though they're all different the truth is they're not all different they're all exactly the same there's only one and that is locking into a cell 
an energy that does not belong in it. We have the right to do that. We were given the right of creatorship. And creatorship means you get to choose how your life and your physiology unfold. Now, if you do that unconsciously, that means that you'll probably just replicate the patterns of the past. And, you you know, there's that old saying that if you keep doing what you've always done, you keep getting what you've always gotten. And so let's stop doing what we've always done. Let's stop doing what our power persons did to us. Let's stop doing what the world modeled for us. You know, if you hang around these little ones just a little bit, it's really easy to see that they follow whatever they experience in the way of energy. Verbal, emotional, physiological. The mimic, I mean, with this little one at six months. She's sitting there and she's just looking around. But if you get her eye contact and you smile, she just comes back with the biggest grin. And so we mimic those around us. And many people, when it comes to the patterns of hostility and fear, said to themselves, as that hostility or fear was pointed toward them, boy, when I grow up, I'm never going to do that to my kids. But what did they do to their kids? If they did not have the tool of forgiveness, because those energetic patterns were integrated into their structures, then they're going to play them out. It isn't a matter of choice. And the key, you know, if you remember from the power person penance to interdependence workshop, the power person is someone who had more power of your life than you did at some point, was not functioning as love, and you perceived it as survival. When those three conditions occur, the child, and it's usually between a parent and the child, though not always, but when those three conditions occur, the child's energy field opens at depth, opens wide open, and becomes just like a huge sponge and just sucks in whatever energies are going on. And if the power person is pointing, let's say, rage at a child, then the child literally takes on, absorbs all of that energy at depth. And, of course, as the child grows, you know, 8, 9, oh, I'll never do this to my kids, 10, 11, 12, 15, boy, this will, I'll never talk to my kids that way, I'll never do those kinds of behaviors. 25, 30, if they've done no inner work, then when under high stress conditions, and you'll notice that if your stress is at a low level, you just naturally, you know, this is the number one power person behavior. You do whatever you did to get along with your power person. That's just how it works. No stress, everything's rocking, everything's fine. Second level of behavior, if stress starts to build for that individual, and it doesn't matter if it's 80 years later, if stress starts to build, then the automatic decision system kicks in it moves out of doing whatever you did to get along with your power person into doing whatever you did to resist and survive with your power person. And then when one becomes ultra-stressed, that highest level of stress kicks in, then one, again, the automatic decision system kicks them into 
doing whatever their power person did to them that they hated the most. You know, we see this a lot of times with alcoholics. How many times have you heard the alcoholic in great remorse for what they did last night saying, I'm never going to do that again? And they mean it. I mean, you can tell they're really sincere. But they don't have a choice. If they don't go in and delete, if they don't go in and forgive, if they don't go in and remove those energetic dynamics, the next time the stress is up and the chips are down, they're going to do exactly the same thing. If you've ever noticed yourself doing behaviors against your own will and choice, against what you said you would ever do again, there's a reason. Because it's been pounded in generationally, power person dynamic. That's what led, when they were talking about forgiving these kinds of dynamics from within our structure, when, you know, I think it was Peter who turned to Yeshua, he says, you know, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Is seven enough? You know, in essence, he's saying, is how many of these darn worksheets do we have to do? Is seven enough? And we're told by the Greeks that he said, Yeshua's response was no, 77 times seven. But in Aramaic, the response was 77 times 70. How many times will I have to forgive us to my brother to be freed of that power person dynamic that perhaps has been going on in my bloodline for a hundred generations? And 77 times 7 is not a literal number, but zero is infinity. Seven is a number of completion. How much work will you do around any given power person energy within yourself? You'll do an infinite amount of work until you're complete with that dynamic. And then your genes, your bloodline will be freed of it. And if you look into the generational dynamics, remember they said very clearly, look to the lives of the fathers or ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. Now, I don't think they were being sexist. I don't think they meant just men. They were talking about, you know, the, the fathers and the mothers, the power persons. And people can have many different power persons. This is something we get into pretty deeply. In fact, we've got a 12-page worksheet uh, for dealing with power person dynamics. So... One is going to go in, uncover the generational dynamics of the power person, and, you know, it's a huge, huge task. You know, that that passage I referred to earlier where there are a number of disciples there, they're basically asking, yes, what do I need to do to please God? You know, that's kind of the way that it was expressed. What do I need to do to be on track, to do the right thing, to function as a human being? He told them. And literally half of his audience said too hard a saying and left and never came back. There's a work to be done. And, you know, because these dynamics tend to run, you know, we've, we've invented this idea we call a, a vitality meter. The vitality meter goes from 1 to 10. So let's imagine you're level 5 vitality and you have a level 7 toxin. You know, there's a behavior, there's a situation, there's a thing that you do, you know, under certain circumstances. Notice the things you don't do that you swore you'd never do happen when you're under high levels of stress. 
That's why the forgiveness process deals with what causes stress, and that's goals. So notice if you're under high levels of stress, certain behaviors take over. And if you're at that level 5 vitality, but you've got a level 7 toxin, you can say, oh, I want to fix that, I want to fix that, I want to heal that, I want to be finished with that. That one's got to go away. I'm done with that one. Like, I'm really done with that one. But the next time the stress is up and the chips are down, that behavior pops back in again, and against your own will and choice, you're forced by your mind to do it. Well, I can say that I want to deal with my level 7 toxicity all I want, but if I hang out with my old level 5 thinking, you know, they're the problem, anger helps, I can save myself by raging at people, blah, blah, blah. If, if that's the game that I play, then my vitality is going to stay down at that level 5, which means I'm not going to be able to surface and directly confront that level 7 toxicity. Oftentimes, it's a stumbling point for people because they say, oh, this sounds really good. I'm going to start doing it. You know, they start eating better. They engage in forgiveness. They, you know, they, they live the commitment. They really use the tools, and they're rocking along, and things are getting better and better until they just hit a high point. It's like, man, I went to bed last night, and I was just like on top of the world. I love this work. And then the next morning, they got up and wondered if anybody got the Mack truck. They went through the room during the night. What happened? Well, they built up to the point where they were at, let's say, came up to a level 7.5 vitality. Go to bed at night with 7.5 and you're used to being down at a 5. Man, that feels really good. And... The mind says, hey, you remember that old level 7 toxicity that we haven't been able to handle for the last three decades? And maybe the last three generations of our bloodline, nobody's been vital enough to look at this major trauma? Bingo. Now that part of the mind opens. And all of a sudden, you know, you go to bed at night and you're flying high and you get up in the morning and you're lower than the snake's belly. What happened? You're now in what's called a healing crisis, a very, very, very desirable state, but one of the unhappiest ones that there is. So being gentle with yourself, continuing to use the tools, and standing in willingness. If it's not in there, you can't feel it. If you're feeling it, it's because it's in there. Now, your mind for generations has probably been making up all kinds of stories about your feeling because of what Harry did or Paul did or Bill or Mary or Hortense. You've never felt anything because of what anybody does ever in your life. The only reason you've ever felt anything that you feel is because it's in you to feel it. Recognizing that... If I play the game, if I live out of hiding, that is, I blame everybody else for what's going on inside of me, then I can pretend those things are not mine and not in there. Which means that anybody that shows up and resonates those things in me, I'm going to use those things to build my brain's image of them. And when I do that, literally now, I mean this literally, they're going to show up in my mind with my problem attached. And I'll swear that it must be their problem. But the kicker is, 
if I'm really honest with myself, I'm feeling it. And I'm feeling it because it's in me to feel it. Now, I need to get beyond the projection, beyond the place of taking this trauma and using the energy pattern of it to build my brain's image of whoever I'm blaming. I need to get past that. How do I do that? I need to collapse the images my mind is making. Collapsing the images your mind is making and bringing the hidden parts of your mind to healing is called forgiveness. It is literally the confronting, the embracing in the presence of love and the healing of those generational energetic patterns. And, you know, just kind of think about your bloodline. Think about the kinds of emotions that you saw with mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings. Just think about the energies you've seen. Think about your own life. What would it be like? What would your life be like if you weren't capable of reproducing any of that but were only capable of experiencing present love in your structure. How different would your world be? The invitation of this work is to step into that place because that's what we're designed for. We are not designed for the experience of any form of hostility or fear, sadness, grief, rage, drama, or trauma. We're just not designed for it. And so life has this Awesome. What word do I want to use? Patterning. Energetic patterning. Where if there's something in our tissue structure with which we are destroying ourselves, literally that energetic pattern moving in us sets up a resonating energy field to draw someone into the space to do it to us, to play it out with us. And when they do, we'll do one of two things. We'll either go into, oh, I need to take a breath, look at what I'm feeling. Or we'll go into, I'm holding my breath and look what you've done to me. Look what you're making me feel. If you are the early adopter, if your family system, and just, you know, I, I look back at my generations and there's nobody that I can fathom in my, you know, that I can ferret out, that I can tap into that rose above the momentary hostilities and fears of the day. There's nobody that I know of. And maybe I couldn't, shouldn't quite say that because I was able to watch my mom do that to a degree. My dad, never. But my mom, she was able to do that. Aunts, uncles, cousins. You know, I can remember as a kid, it was a family wedding. And with, especially with certain parts of the family, it was a drunken brawl. We can bring healing to those dynamics if we choose to step in and do our work. And the mind very skillfully and very, what word should I use? It's pretty sneaky 
at massaging its content, its pained content, into looking like it belongs to somebody else. I mean, it is so skillful. What do you suppose it would be like to live a life where you had, no matter what anybody in your world did, you had actually absolutely no reason and no capacity to be pissy with somebody, to be irritated, angry, afraid. What would it be like if those things were disappeared from your life? My offering is that's exactly what forgiveness is for. Is it tough work? Yeah. You know, that whole group, I mean, literally half of the disciples walked away too hard of saying, no, I don't want to do this. And they went off and made up this easy theology that, you know, this guy Yeshua is going to take care of it for you and there's nothing you can do anyway. That's not the gospel according to Yeshua. And when you think of it in terms of gospel, it is really awesomely good news and there's nothing religious about it. Men turned it into churchianity, created belief systems to control others. The ones who wouldn't do their work made up a theology where there's nothing you can do. Yes, you'll take care of it for you. How's that working for you? You know, I've watched a lot of people go through that one, and the door closes, and they're, they let go of their piety. It's right back to the same generational patterns of the last hundred generations in their bloodline. You have to face and actually step in and do the work of healing. And that means you embrace every generational pattern of hate, rage, fear, guilt, drama, and trauma until there's nothing left but the truth of you, which is the presence of love. And I just happen to be laying here with this little bundle that's, uh, let's see, I don't know, she's maybe 12 pounds now. with her eyes closed and her little lips pursed, just breathing away right here up my chest. So it's really easy to tap into the presence of love in this situation. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? It is real quiet. Um, there is. No questions in the chat room. Nobody has a hand up. There were a couple of emails that came in. I was just looking. Um, one had asked, and I, I actually responded to her by email, but um, she said, how do I forgive myself? So I'm not, and I told her, you know, don't ever forgive yourself or another person ever, and then I explained the difference in pardoning and forgiveness, but you might want to address that. Well, you just said it all in one simple sentence. <laughs> never never forgive anybody, but forgive continuously. And we've got to change the definition of the word. You know, if you go back Vladimir Lenin, who's probably responsible for more deaths on planners than any human being in history, said the way you destroy a culture is to change the meaning of its words. If you've got a culture based in love and you can change the meaning of the words, you can turn forgiveness into pardon, you can turn love into sexual athletics, then the truth of who we are as love is taken from us. We use that word to describe something 
that's got nothing to do with love. And so, forgiveness is not pardoning. Forgiveness is not the Greek act of letting others off the hook because some sort of pain or trauma is moving in you. Pardon people, if you will. That's great. Wonderful thing to let people off the hook. And then, recognizing that if around their behavior you're in pain, that their behavior has resonated something that's in you. It has not caused it to be in you, but has resonated something that's in you. And that something needs to be forgiven. And that word forgiveness being removed. No, not letting somebody off the hook. Not that idea. If Yeshua sat in most circles today that were presenting what they purport to be his work, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. Because his Greek idea of forgiveness is letting people off the hook. And, you know, the whole word, I mean, you know, uh, Nene has translated much of her work into Spanish. And in Spanish, the, literally the word that they use to, to offer this idea of forgiveness is pardon. So much has been dialed down. So, yes, forgive continuously. Whenever anything less than love moves in you, apply forgiveness and remove that energy from your structure, ultimately from your genes and from your bloodline. And then, you know, if somebody does something untoward, deserves your wrath or you think deserves your wrath, then you may choose to let them off the hook. And you may say, but, you know, what they did really was so terrible that they really do deserve my wrath. And, you know, I might join you. I'd say, yeah, you know, I was watching. I was really terrible. They deserve your wrath. But that's not the right question. Seeing as how you get the original and they get the carbon copy, the question you need to ask yourself is, do you deserve what you're about to do to them? If you don't deserve it, then you better not do it because energetically you get the original, they get the carbon copy. So when I take responsibility, when I see that my mind holds unresolved trauma, and again, for many, this is too hard a saying. When my mind holds unresolved trauma, I develop the skill. I develop the muscle of being, to, being able to go to that part of me and remove what never belonged. So again, forgiveness being removal, nothing to do with pardoning. So that's where we want to go, is, is to deeply integrate that level of understanding. And when I integrate that level of understanding and choose to let loose of, to hostility or fear, I'm the one who benefits. I'm the one who gains from that. Yes, I can share that with others. 
But first and foremost, I want to own what's going on in me. And as I own it, if I don't like it, then I remove it. As I remove it, I'm the one who gets to be free of it. So breathing deeply. The title of this work is Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And as I realize the again part of it is because I'm a creator and if I don't like it, I need to take responsibility for and remove those patterns that never belonged. So that's what we're here to engage. That's what we're here to teach. That's what we're here to learn. And once we realize that we can literally tap into this presence of love and connect with others in that same space, and that in so doing, we're restoring all the world to that presence of love. Remember that word sin, an archery term in Aramaic. It's an individual perception. And when we point our finger at someone else, accusing them of sin, and we're in a state of you know, rage or fear, we're looking at our own internal dynamics but projecting them on others, pretending that it's someone else, secretly believing that that's an attribute we have. So when you undo the effects of your errors, then you become more available to that power within you that teaches the truth. And as you remove those energetic dynamics that never belong, you know, There is no reason nor requirement for any of that energy that's off the mark. When we construct our brain's image of ourselves out of one set of internal dynamics, innocent and perfect, and we belong to the one world religion of blame, and so every dynamic that's off the mark we use to build our brain's image of others, we believe that others are different from us, different though it seems real, it's only a product of what's going on in the mind. And it's never justified. You know, we look at people in relationships and oftentimes because of that, that game of, of uh, self-deprecation, the relationships about what they can take from the other. And then, of course, turn and move on. Relating to others as bodies, not beings. And when you recognize that reality is the output of the mind, it's unique and individual, 
two people can you know sit in the same room and experience externally the exact same thing and yet be worlds apart as you do your work and get rid of the judgments of self the judgments that you lack that you're broken that there's something wrong with you and accept yourself as whole accept yourself as love then it becomes easier and easier to extend that to another and to join in that with another so in one case there's a reason to take because there's difference and somebody's got something that I think I don't have oh they've got wholeness or they'll make me whole where the other approach to relationship is oh each of us is whole and together we can create a greater whole a greater state of well-being So that's what we're here to understand, put to work. And so if you're out there in listener land and you are on one of those stations where we cannot see you, I would invite you to call into the show, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and you push one, you'll be listening to the show directly. You have two hands up. Well, let's say hello. All right. The first one is, I believe, Roma 808. You are on the air. Well, well we haven't heard your voice in a while. Welcome, young lady. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Here. I'm always here. But I had to call in today because the energy of that baby in the very beginning was just so exquisite and it has been the constant underflow of the whole broadcast today and I just want to thank you for that. It's just it's just such a gift. I'll Is pass your name Kaylee Joe. Kaylee yeah, Joe. Kaylee Joe. <laughs> That's yep. great. Is she asleep? And yes, as my son, yes, she's laying here sleeping on my chest. I'm laying down on, on a bed in the spare bedroom at my son's. And uh, I mean, I could literally, as he walked in the room with her, feel her energy enter. And yeah, it just shifts everything. It's so beautiful. It's such a sweet space. Every time you use the phrase one world religion, I am I I always feel jarred at the rest of the sentence and I would like to hear the phrase one world religion of love because I think that's what we're heading toward and um, I I like to keep that phrase in my mind and my heart too so I just wanted to share that with you Well I I would see it slightly differently that to head toward that each of us realizes the state of being that we are and that is where the love is and yet the the most common religion and I think it it does jar people 
especially people who live the blame game, because when they realize that their religion is blame, they have to confront it and, and have to, you know, start doing something about it. And so, you know, one, right of the, into, one of the things that... Uh, go ahead. I just put it right up into their face, right? Yeah. Well, By saying you know, that, if, if people don't have the brain cells... If people have the brain cells, they'll go on blaming, 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 raging, you know, all the crazy things that we that non-being does, and they'll think themselves justified when they start going, oh, when I go into blame, when I go into rage, I have a problem. That, like, is a major breakthrough from, well, the norm of the culture. I mean, just, you know, turn on the television and watch. The norm of the culture is the blame game. And it really is a religion. But I'm certainly with you 100% on, yes, the focal point, you know, the state of being of a human. Just, you know, join me at this moment holding this little newborn. <laughs> and it gets really clear what we are. You know, it's really That's clear. That's right. That is, that is who we are. That's good. And she just opened her eyes a half a degree and looked at me and it's kind of wiggling her head around and just... You know, the little baby lips. <laughs> Kaylee, Pretty awesome. Kaylee, hi, Kaylee. <laughs> Maybe she's aware that I'm aware of her, that we are all aware of her, that she's making a difference by just being the infinite presence of love. So sweet. For sure. Okie doke, I'll get off and let's, let's hear what the other caller wants to say. All right, you have a blessed one. Thanks for calling. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. Take care. Happy times in Maui. All right, Miss Jeannie. Paula, 843, you're on the air. Hey, Michael. Well, welcome, Um, lady. Hey. Is it true that that love brings up two, two things? Is it true that love brings up everything unlike itself? Like Absolutely. darkness yes. and all the inner stuff, you're like weren't even was not even aware that was there. And then I think I have a misperception that I've had for years about the Course in Miracles, because I understood okay. it to say that okay, I understood it's it's all this stuff. To, to me, sometimes all this spiritual bullshit BS just causes mm-hmm. me more torment and trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, my understanding was that we exist physically because we separated ourselves from God, but it's an illusion that we separated ourselves from God. So trying well, to wrap you, my head around that, is that the understanding of the Course in Miracles, or am I misunderstanding that? Well, my input would be that's a half-truth. That's halfway there, but that would leave one in confusion if they held that pattern of thought. So here would be my It's leaving me in, in torment, torment. Right. Well, you remember when I talked earlier about the vitality meter. If I'm at a level 5 vitality, I can keep all my level 6 trauma and my level 7 trauma hidden from myself. But as I, but as I tap into the truth, as I connect with deeper levels of love, I'm more vitalized, and in that more vitalized state, I'm going to surface things that yesterday I was able to hide from myself. So yes, 
a more powerful presence of love will progressively bring up that which is unlike itself for healing. Absolutely. That's the healing crisis. That's the part that nobody wants to do. Everybody wants to go there and, and function as love, but nobody wants to face the generational patterns of hate and rage and guilt and grief and blame and trauma and trauma that have people forgetting that they are love and, and leave people in that, those disease states. So if there's a disease state in my body and I connect to a higher level of vitality, whatever that disease state is about is going to start to move in me and come to the surface for healing. The skill to develop, and you've heard me say it before, to cultivate the, your relationship with yourself as love and to hold to that when those other things start to surface. That's key. And then as far as the, what the Course says about this whole idea of a body, my take would be that, first of all, we remain the truth of who we are, remain as conscious, active, present love for eternity in the state of being who we are. But if our minds have been programmed with generations of rage and hate and guilt and grief and fear and drama and trauma, then what happens is we generate a false image of ourselves as something other than love. I got a little love bunny here that's just starting to wake up and opening her eyes and lifting her head and looking at me. Hey there, sweet girl. Hey there, sweet baby girl. Hey. You are such a sweetie. Hey. Mm-hmm. Boy, you want to sit up? Give me just a second here. I'm going to just take this little one and sit her up. She's swaddled here, and I'm going to take the take her uh, blanket off. Hey, sweetheart. Let me just take this blanket off you. Yeah. Let me take this off of you. We'll loosen this up. Yeah, what a pair of sweet eyes. There you go. Oh, big stretch, yes. So the truth is that we are this created essence of love. It's really easy to to experience that with these little ones. But as we grow, we have the power person dynamics of, you know, the generational sadness and guilt and grief and rage and fear and punishment. And those energetic patterns get stuffed into our minds and we start to create a false picture of who we are as a body. And when we create that false picture, we have a a totally and completely false self that's identified with the body. And if there isn't, on a cellular level, if there isn't a strong presence of love in those cells, then we experience ourselves as something other than love. We experience ourselves as those messages that our power person gave us. And so, no, we've never separated from love, but we've separated our awareness from it and created this whole false self-image. There's where Yeshua says, in order for you, human being, you know, the truth about you is you are the created essence of love. The truth about me is that I am the created essence of love. But your power person and my power person gave us some different ideas. And those ideas were not all that great. And so we formed a self, and that self blocked awareness of the truth. So the, the objective of the forgiveness process is to dismantle or to dissolve that false self. And as it's dissolved, the energetic patterns beneath it come to the surface for healing. 
and you progressively move toward deeper and deeper states where you remember who you are as love and you literally embody or incarnate as love. And that means there's a healing process to go through and the healing process is not Dr. Feelgood because we get to face the patterns of behavior, the patterns of thought, the, the thought disorders of a thousand generations of our bloodline. And so it's the healing process that is unpleasant. And each time you engage in collapsing a false image of self, you get to have a little deeper experience of yourself as love. You know, the extreme of, of what we're talking about, if you read anything or watch any videos, you go on YouTube and just put in near death. People talk about it as a near-death experience. I, I call what the world calls a near-death experience a near-life experience because most people are already dead to who they are. You function out of rage and fear and guilt and grief when they're under stress. And if... And all of those things, that rage and fear and guilt and grief, are structured in the body, in what we call the body, the energy system. And so while that's active, it's hard for people to get away from it. Now, it's a really profound getting away from those things when one experiences clinical, clinical death. If the body dies, then the whole function of the memory bank is gone, and one gets to enter into relationship with who they are as love. If they haven't done that while they're alive, it can be quite a shock. And, you know, if we look at the records of thousands of people who've had that, what they call the near-death experience, which is really the near-life experience, clinical death occurs, carbon-based memory, the hostility and fear-based mind shuts up, and people get, oh, my God, I am love. Oh, look, here I am. This is who I am. And then if they happen to you know, be resuscitated, they come back in and tell a story that's certainly unlike what their lives have been like. They have the realization of the truth of who they are. There's a really wonderful movie out there. I think you can watch it on Amazon. Uh, it's called Saved by the Light, true story of a guy named, uh, let me get my brain to. Uh, Daniel Brinkley. <sighs> Daniel Brinkley. And you know, this guy was a hired government killer. And that was what he did. And the movie shows how nasty a person he was. I really, I know Daniel, and I really acknowledge him for being honest in the movie. And how, I mean, he was just a rotten SOB until he was struck by lightning and died and came back. And now, I mean, the way I know him is we've run into him on the circuit. We've, for years, you know, we've crisscrossed paths because he runs in the same circles teaching about who we are as love. And he spent thousands of hours, he's former military, he spent thousands of hours sitting at the bedsides of military people who are dying, who have no idea who they are. And he coaches them through going to the light instead of being broken as the messages that their power persons gave them. So, you know, if, if you've got the opportunity, tap into Saved by the Light. Powerful, powerful story. And it goes into the work, once he had that near-life experience, came back and realized that he was loved, some of the challenges and some of the traumas. I mean, the, the movie's basically about his healing crisis and being restored to the truth of who he is. So that's the process, and our time is just about up. And perhaps if, uh, if this conversation is making sense, we can continue it on Monday and, uh, and see if we can help get everything to the next level with you. 
this because I know Monday. you're on the on the. Oh, pardon this me. It is, is Monday. Monday. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it is Monday already. Holy mackerel! So tomorrow, if it's if the opportunity is there, let's continue the conversation because any second the show is going to sh- shut us off. So, thank you for calling, Paul. Okay. Holding you in our hearts. Thank you. Alrighty. Nice Give to it. hear your voice. Delighted. 